Good morning, everyone. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8. We have had a really hard weekend, have we not? Um, God bless our city. Pray for Bowling Green. Uh, Woodburn here where we are was, was uh, spared the storm. It was actually quite calm here through most of what was terrible just north of us. Uh, Bowling Green is, is uh, uh, devastated. Uh, over 500 homes I heard last night have been destroyed. That means families displaced. Uh, so much need. Um, uh, we're talking about mission one, and of course, we all understand this is what God calls us to do. We want to help folks. We want to do everything that we can. Uh, we will try to communicate as best we can as we figure out what the, what the needs are. Uh, yesterday was chaos in Bowling Green. Uh, people were uh, eager to help, but at this point, it's still ex- not exactly clear the best ways to help. South Warren High School is a Red Cross shelter at this point, a donation point. If you want to register or sign up to, uh, to work on teams, once those teams can be mobilized, South Warren is a good place to, uh, in order to do that. Uh, to, to Tommy and Jennifer Jones, their small group is going to South Warren uh, in the next hour, in the 930 hours, so you can see them, connect with them if you'd like to go be a part of what they're going to do today. We are, of course, collecting the Mission One offering today, and I'm not going to change the subject to try to promote our offering. I just want you to understand that part of the beauty of the fact that we collect this one mission offering, you know, one time of the year is that we, we are always supporting the, the kinds of groups that are always helping in this kind of disaster. We have to stop and figure out the best way to help. We have to figure out what we want to do. Uh, but just understand, K- Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief teams are actually the best in the nation. And Hurricane Katrina and in any national disaster you can name, uh, Baptist disaster relief teams are um, among the best anywhere. The Red Cross typically uh, supports and helps uh, direct people to the Baptist when it comes to disaster relief. And you'll see it this week. Kentucky Baptist disaster relief teams will be on the ground this week, uh, cleaning up neighborhoods, rebuilding homes, uh, if anyone knows of a family in desperate need of, of rebuilding, give me their name. I will register them with Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief, and they will get help. Uh, we were already supporting disaster relief in the Mission One offering that we're collecting today, so understand that. But it's the kind of work that Kentucky Baptists do all the time. Uh, I guess it's the one thing about being Southern Baptist, and all our men got chainsaws, you know. And so, honestly, we do this really, really well. Southern Baptists do disaster relief really, really well. We have a number of of men who are trained and ready to go. Now, some of us at this kind of moment wish that we were trained and ready to go. And I just encourage you maybe to take this moment to connect with Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief. You can look them up uh, on the Internet. Uh, Register with them. Take the training and be ready to go. Be ready to work next time because, again... Uh, folks like me who don't really know what we're doing, we just get in the way. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's support the ones who are trained to, to do the, the, the hard work. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Let, let, let's talk about mission 1. Continue to talk about mission 1. And again, the, the offering, we don't pass the plates still, but I think you know how to give. Just pray and give what God has laid on your heart to give. Casey and I talk about this sort of thing together. We decide what God has laid on our hearts. I think we gave last week. Uh, I say, I think we... Yeah, Casey, I have a woman who takes care of all my finances. Uh, <laughs> it's my wife. Uh, she doesn't even let me have any money, which is sad. But, uh, but anyway, uh, we gave last week, uh, and I had, had prayed and talked about that, so I encourage you to do the same thing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, let, let's talk about what it means to, uh, to be a church on mission, uh, a sent people. There was a, 
a kid who came home from his first semester of college on Christmas break. He came back to his home church uh, on that Sunday. He hadn't been in his church since he went off to college, so it was kind of a big deal. He was happy to be home. Uh, he made a special point that day of going by and shaking his pastor's hand. He had, you know, had one pastor his whole life and now hadn't seen him in a semester. He made a point to go shake the pastor's hand, which I think is cool. Pastor said, how you doing? How's college? The kid said, oh man, I love college. And it was, it, the kid said it was a tough adjustment at first, but I've, I've connected with a fraternity. I've joined a fraternity now and I, I feel like uh, from this point on, it's just going to be great. I'm excited. So, so pastor kind of leaned in for a more serious question. He said, well... Do your fraternity brothers, do they give you a hard time for being a Christian? Do, do they give you a hard time for your faith? And the kid said, oh, no, no, they're cool about it. As a matter of fact, I don't even think they know. And the kid really didn't know what, what he was saying when he said it. I don't even think they know. Uh, you know, that's not funny. As funny as it is, that's not funny. Uh, some of us live lives uh, in, in that way. We call ourselves believers, but, but it, the way in which we embody the gospel, most people around you don't even know, that, that, that they don't even know. Uh, th- this is not a good thing. I, I want you to understand very simply, and I'm not talking now to just some of us, I'm talking to all of us. If, if you uh, claim to belong to Jesus, if you call him your Savior and your Lord, then understand your ultimate goal is to make a difference for Christ. I mean, your ultimate goal. I mean, your, the, the goal that's higher than any other goal, more important than dressing in fashion, more important than having a nice home, more important than finding a spouse, more important than getting your kids into college. Your ultimate goal is to make a difference for Christ, to do something that matters for him, and to use your life as a platform of gospel influence. You understand what I'm saying? Use your life as a platform of gospel influence. This isn't just like the next level if you want to be a, you know, some sort of dynamite Christian. No, this is basic Christianity. It, you're supposed to use your life as a platform of gospel influence. What this means is no matter what it is you do in your life, it doesn't mean we all just quit jobs and become preachers. Let's please don't do that. Uh, in many, many ways, I will be the least effective witness in this house for the simple reason that when I go out in the world, everybody expects me to talk about Jesus. People don't cuss around me, you all, because I'm weird. I'm like a Martian when I go into the world because people know that I'm a pastor and they expect certain things from me and they know that I'm going to talk about Jesus. So, so this is what I'm saying. I, I use my life. God's called me to do what I, I'm doing. I'm, I'm not saying that, that, that I also can't be an effective witness. I'm just saying my witness is very different from yours and in so many ways yours is more powerful. In the history of the Christian mission, it is a documented fact that the gospel has made its way around the world and not because of the ministries of people like me. I mean, there have been some amazing, you know, Billy Grahams all through history who've managed to preach to massive crowds and, and they seem to lead, you know, thousands of people to Jesus. But understand, that's not how the world gets one. And it's never been the way that the gospel has had the greatest impact in the world over time. 
As a matter of fact, I mean, scholars all agree, the gospel success since, since, since the resurrection of Jesus to our day is not really thanks to the big, you know, famous evangelists. It's, it's everyday men and women, teenagers like you, who go into all the world and use their life as a platform for gospel influence. They're nurses, they're doctors, they work in factories, they're farmers, they're students, and, and whatever it is they do, they do it to the glory of God and they manage to make a difference for Christ. This is the ordinary Christian life. Understand? And it is the beating heart of mission one, which is the the new way that we're talking about our life and our mission together here at Woodburn as a church. Uh, With that said, go with me to the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight. I rarely would just make one verse my preaching text. In your small groups, if you're following the sermon notes, you'll do more of this passage today, but Acts one, eight is just a where I want to hang my hat today. Acts 1, 8, one verse. Jesus is speaking uh, to his disciples just before he ascends back to the Father. And I just want you to pay attention to the fact that uh, these are just kind of his last words on earth. Are you with me? And this is what he says, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So so like the last six words Jesus says on earth are what? To the ends of the earth. You, You will be my witnesses. You will receive power. He's talking about us. It's a, we're kind of a redneck church, so it's probably no surprise if I tell you that I'm packing a pocket knife. Um, I, I have a knife. Uh, I have knives. I, I have a lot of pocket knives. I love pocket knives. Uh, I really do. Uh, Brother John gave me one a while back. Uh, this is the one he gave me. Uh, this is actually a multi-tool, kind of a man's man kind of thing, you know, because that's, that's how I roll. Um, <laughs> I love pocket knives and, and, I, and I carry one. I have one with me all the time. It's either in my, in my pocket or in my bag. You know, I have one in my desk. I just always like to have a knife handy. Like I say, this is a, actually a multi-tool, which is cool. Uh, it, it folds out and makes, you know, these amazing scissors, pliers. You could probably rewire a house with, with that. And, and I love that. I love having that, that, that potential. Um, a really, really sharp knife. I mean, this thing is so sharp. It is really, really sharp. I could do anything with this. I could probably field dress a deer uh, with, with this. Um, uh, folded out here, this is one kind of screwdriver, which is amazing because you never know. Um, here I have this amazing file and this little hooky thing to clean dirt out from under your nails because, you know, when you're doing all these things, you, you need also to tend to basic hygiene. I have a ruler. I can measure things out. I could probably make you a coffee table. Um, <laughs> tweezers, you know, which are important. Uh, another kind of screwdriver, this one is a Phillips head screwdriver right here. In, in, and then, of course, a can opener, bottle opener. If I'm camping and, you know, need to open a can of beanie weenies or anything like that, this, this little thing at the end, I could probably pick a lock with, with, with this part. Um, I just love it, y'all. Look at all that. Just look at all that. I, I mean, anything you need, I got you. You with me? I mean, I, I got you. Like, you know, if you're in the hospital and, and your pastor's out there and your you know, surgeon forgets the scalpel, come get me. I have the sharpest knife on the planet right here. I, I, can, uh, I can take care of your gallbladder uh, right there. 
I really do. I, I, I carry a knife. I, 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 I love my knives. Um, but you know what? I've never in my life field dressed a deer with this knife or, or any knife. That's not my life. I kind of wish it were my life. I, I know some of you guys, that's your life. How many guys in this room got a pocket knife on them right now? You see, these are awesome guys. Fred Felton probably got a stick and made Cynthia a coffee table on the way to church today with his knife. That's his life. I mean, I get it. You know, I'm sure Eric DeVries probably took a knife and field dressed a deer on the way to church. I mean, this is how some of our guys live. It's just not my life. I, I have kind of a desk job. I have a knife with me at all times, but I don't ever need to cut anything. I can't wait for Christmas morning. I can't wait for that when we're gathered around the tree and we have presents to open. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And I run and get my knife. Because it's good, you know, for like, you know, cutting ribbons and bows. I I use it once a year at Christmas for uh, opening gifts. Uh, It's it's really not a joke. I, I carry knives with me and I forget I have them and then, and then I go to fly and then, you know, the security agents take my knives away. You know, I'll never see them again. It's the saddest thing. Um, so I carry a knife with all of this capability, but the truth of the matter is it's kind of wasted in my pocket because I don't do any of those things. Are you with me? What I want you to understand is that what Acts 1-8 promises us from Jesus himself is that Jesus will give us power with purpose. It's, it's power with purpose. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're thinking, yes, I want power. I want power. And I'm honest, I want power. And when it talks about, you know, this is sort of a promise for the church. I want to be a part of a church with power. Man, I don't want any, I want just Sunday morning. I mean, Lord knows Jesus did not suffer and die and come back from the dead, you know, so you could sit in a pew and sing a hymn, you know. I want to be a part of a church with, with, with power, and this is exactly what Jesus promises. He doesn't say some of you will receive power. He doesn't say just certain churches of a certain size will have power. Jesus says you, all of you, he's talking to his followers, and all of his followers are going to receive power. He says power. So understand, we have it. This church, us, we are a a church that Jesus is talking about here. And we have power. We have the same power that was unleashed at Pentecost. And what happens when the Holy Spirit came down, these very same disciples who were hiding in a room for fear, suddenly they explode into the city and they begin proclaiming the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm telling you, we have that power. We have all of that power, not just part of it. We have all of that power. All of the power of the New Testament church is all of the power that comes from the very Spirit of God. We have all that power. So why is it that day in, day out, not just day in, month in, I'm talking year in, year out. I'm talking in 150 years of history. Not a whole lot of powerful things happen around here. It is not that we don't have power. Because Jesus says, you will, you will have power. All of us together as a church, we have power. And every single one of us as individuals, we have power. You have that power. 
But there's very few powerful things happening in your life from day to day. How do you explain that? Well, I would explain it this way. The power of the Holy Spirit in your hands is about like a multi-tool pocket knife in my hands. I could feel dress a deer, but I ain't really going to do that. I'm just not. In my day-to-day life, I don't ever need to do that. I could pick a lock. Problem is, I don't ever really need to do any of that. You know, I'll be really honest with you. These, these scissors at the end, I use those more than anything to clip nose hairs. I clip nose hairs with this. Now, now, I could also make my wife a coffee table with this, but I'm not really going to do that. I'm just more of the, you know, Christmas bows and nose hairs kind of guy, which means, you know, this, you know, all of this, you know, whatever pocket knife I'm carrying that day, I'm probably never going to pull it out and use it. And this is what I'm telling you. Jesus gives us power with the purpose. It is not that you don't have power. It is that you don't have purpose. Or it's not that you don't have purpose. You're not living your life with the purpose that Christ has given you. But because Jesus gives power with purpose, you will receive power and then you will become my witnesses, Jesus says. It's power for witness. It's power for mission. And so very, very honestly, the reason that most of you never feel that sense of power, never really experience the Holy Spirit moving in your life, You never really sense that supernatural intervention coming down and flowing through you. Do you want to know why you never experienced that? Because in your day-to-day life, you're not doing anything that would require the Spirit's power. In your day-to-day life, you're just not being a witness. The more your life speaks of Jesus, the more in your life you step out to actually be a witness for Christ then the more power you'll have, the more power will flow through you. But I'm telling you, the reason we don't really experience that power is we are not really engaging the mission. Y'all understand? Did I come in too hot? Did my knife scare you? I I think this is in one way devastating that as a church, as people, as individuals, we put so little into doing the one thing Jesus has called us to do. And the other hand, I find it encouraging because this helps me understand how it is I get my life on track. This helps me understand that the missing piece. This helps me understand as a pastor what it is that we need to be doing. And it comes down to doing the one thing Jesus told us to do. The one thing he tells us to be. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. Now this is what I was talking about earlier. This is the place where, like when you imagine Jesus telling his disciples, you'll be my witnesses. You think he's talking to, you know, St. John and and, and St. Peter and, and, and St. Paul one day, you know, later. And, and you think of saints and you think of pastors and preachers and evangelists. And you think of Mother Teresa and all of these people that go do these amazing, uh, I mean, uh, amazing, extraordinary things. And, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not an extraordinary person. Therefore, God can't use me to do an extraordinary thing. And this is where you're wrong. 
You have to get it out of your mind that somehow being a witness is going to make your life look more like mine. God has called me to a very particular function in this body of Christ. I'm the pastor. It's what he's called me to do. It's what he called me to be. Obviously, as much as we may need good pastors, Jesus must love, you know, like people like you more than people like me because he's made a whole lot more people like you. There are more people called to do what you do in this body of Christ than there are people called to do what I do. I stand on this platform and I try to speak for Christ, but you have a platform too. You have a mission. You have a ministry. And your ministry is is just as real, just as important, probably more important than mine. My buddy Eric Walker, who's a pastor down at Franklin Community Church, y'all remember that before God called Eric to be a pastor, Eric was a facilities manager down there at New Mather. He, he was, uh, in many ways, a custodian. I remember after several months of being in a pulpit preaching to people at Franklin Campus, as much as, I mean, Pastor Eric is an amazing, amazing man of God, amazing man of the Word. He's one of the best preachers I know. But Eric one day said, you know what, sometimes I feel like I was a lot more effective behind that mop bucket talking about Jesus than I am behind a pulpit. Do y'all get that? Do you understand that? More effective somehow behind that mop bucket because there at the factory there, you know, he's around lost people every day. It's path crossing with people who really, really need to know the name of Jesus. And Eric Walker, I mean, when he steps up behind a pulpit, you know what's coming. But when he just comes up behind with your mop bucket, you may not know what's coming, but you're going to get the same Jesus. You're going to hear about the same Jesus. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. You don't necessarily stop what you're doing and try to do what I'm doing. No, no, no. You do what you're doing. You just do it in the power of the Spirit. And you do it in such a way where you can use your life to speak of Jesus. And this is when the Great Commission starts to happen. An army of evangelists unleashed into factories and into schools and into farms and into office buildings and banks all around the county. You understand? That's how this county gets one to Jesus. Not more preachers, more people like you who finally decide to live life on mission. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Now, watch how it happens. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and and, and to the ends of the earth. Notice how that works. In in Jerusalem, now, if if you don't know your biblical geography, Jerusalem was the the city where they were. That's That's where their feet were. Right? So in Jerusalem and then throughout Judea, like, like that's the region, right? That's just a little further out. Let's call it the county, you know? So it's like Woodburn and then Warren County and then Samaria, like that, that's like the state. You know, it's just, it's just these uh, ever increasing circles of responsibility and influence. And then how's it end up? Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It just continues to expand. Jesus moves your life with the gospel outward toward the world. Now, all of us, outward toward the world. Now, I don't know if that means that we all get on a plane and go somewhere. I think more of us are called to do that than ever actually do that. 
But understand, when we hear Jesus say, you know, to the ends of the earth, we think, well, my goodness, the ends of the earth, where, where would that even be? You know, Botswana, you know, or Bangladesh, you know, someplace you never heard of. You know, Ganun Kadul, Indonesia is as far away from here as you can get. You know, so that's what we start doing. Like, wow, far away, the ends of the earth. But understand, that's just from your perspective. You're thinking about like someplace that's far away from you. But the one who says to the ends of the earth, that's Jesus talking. So we're talking about Jesus's perspective. So it's not so much places that are far away from you. We're talking about, you know, places that are far away from Christ. Now, there's no place where Christ is not, no place where his presence is not realized. But understand, there are a whole lot of places that, that never heard the name of Jesus. So our responsibility is to see to it that everybody, everybody hears the name of Jesus and everybody hears the message about Jesus. And you start where your feet are. That's what Jesus says. You start where your feet are. You start in Jerusalem. You start in Woodburn. You start in Hidden River. You start at South Warren Middle School. You start wherever your feet are. You start right there. And you just let the gospel take you outward from there. Now, some of you won't get a whole lot further than just the place where you work. But I'm telling you, you be faithful there. You're on mission right there. Right there. When Jesus said these words, you know, somewhere over in the Holy Land, at that point, Warren County, Kentucky was as far away as anybody could have ever imagined. So just understand, it's all far away to us, but it's all Jesus' backyard. It's not far away from him. That's why it's not all that surprising that God might pluck up one of you and send you way, you know, way to a, way overseas. Because for God, it's all local. It's us who have to think about distance and traveling. It's, it's all local for him. And that's why it's just nothing for him to raise us up and send us and transplant us and move us around. Because it's all for the sake of the gospel. It's all for the sake of the gospel. In, in Mission 1, there's a paragraph. It's in that section called Envisioned Future. But, but there's one paragraph in that I, I want to call your attention to today. I want you to walk, walk through these words with me. It starts like this. We do whatever it takes to carry the gospel every day to everybody, everywhere. When I say we, who am I talking about? We. It's, it's in this and future of our church. And I don't, I don't mean like, you know, you know, like in the year 20, you know, 2600. I'm talking about our lifetimes. This is what God wants to do with us. This is the church that we want to become in our lifetime. We want to become the church that takes the gospel every day, not just Sunday, not just Sunday, every day to everybody everywhere, accepting the biblical mandate for mission that reaches from the hyper-local to the uttermost destinations. Hyper-local. I may have even made that word up. Hyper-local. But I really want us to consider where we are. I really want us to consider, like, like not just local, but, but hyper-local. I really want us to be very, very concerned with the people that live right around this church. Now, some of you don't even live right around this church. Some of you drove 45 minutes to get here. 
But I'm telling you, there are people who live 10 minutes around this church and they don't know the name of Jesus and, and, and they don't know what Jesus offers. And, and some of those very people had their homes destroyed in the last 48 hours. And, and all of a sudden, we feel like we want to do something. We feel like we want to help them and we should and we will. But because Jesus calls us to take care of our Jerusalem, he calls us to take care of the, the hyper-local needs and to make sure that the gospel gets shared right around us. And, and, and I love the way we do foreign missions. I love the way we have church plants in Seattle, Washington, and Perry, Oklahoma, and, and Atlanta, Georgia. I, I love all of that. And I don't want to stop doing any of that. But I sure don't want to sacrifice the people who live right around in the shadow of our steeple. I don't want to overlook them. I don't want people that live right in that trailer park right there. I don't want them ever to say, you know, I've lived in this place for five years and nobody from that church has ever stepped over here and landed on my porch. I never want anybody right around our church to be able to say that. But they can sometimes say that. Because in all of our efforts to do everything we can for the Lord, we manage to overlook the people that are right here, the, the hyper-local community. Now, right now, on this Sunday, I'm talking, our hyper-local community is in pain. Our hyper-local hyper community has real needs. And we really want to jump out there and meet them, and we will. But you have to understand, for a lot of those people, their lives were in ruin long before the tornado came. And the fact is that that story didn't make the news and that story often doesn't make a radar. I mean, homes are destroyed, but understand, families were already being destroyed long before the tornado and we have to care about that. We have to care about people. We have to not just care about immediate physical needs. We have to really consider eternal spiritual needs because those are always the needs that matter most. You understand what I'm saying? So we're accepting the biblical mandate for mission that reaches from the hyper-local to the uttermost destinations. From oldest to youngest, members of the church family are, say it with me, Bold and verbal witness. What's that mean? It means we take the gospel to everybody, every day, everywhere. And, and that just means wherever you are, wherever your feet are, if there's somebody who doesn't know Jesus right there beside you, you'll find a way. Now, I know sometimes that takes great courage. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are just not in the habit of talking about our faith. It seems like a very private thing. And, and it's intimidating and it's embarrassing and, and all of that. But I'm telling you, we, we've been intimidated and embarrassed long enough. Why don't, we, why don't we start moving toward boldness? We're bold in verbal witness, fervent in prayer, obedient in going, generous in giving. It, it all, everything takes money, y'all. I mean, y'all, y'all know that everything takes money. Ah, church, that's all he wants money. No, no. Um, I don't know what last year's numbers are, but 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 most years, Woodburn Baptist Church. Um, in previous years, I, I know that forty percent of money that came in left here for mission. So so even when we talk about fifty thousand dollars for our mission one offering collecting today, that's our goal. That 50000 is going to be the smallest drop in the bucket. We're going to spend so much more in mission. I, I, I love that. I want us to be generous in giving. It all takes money. 
Strategically, we prioritize evangelism with a bias toward church planting. We still want to plant churches, you all, because new believers need new churches. If every person in Warren County right now who doesn't know Christ decided, or let's just say everybody in Warren County doesn't go to church. If they got up this morning and went to church, there wouldn't be anywhere near enough seats for them. It's a very, very slim majority, a very, very slim number of people who go to church at all. And, and of course, we got some empty seats, but if just Woodburn decided to come to church this morning, we don't have room for them. We need new churches everywhere all the time. So, so we're going to keep planting churches locally in the continental U.S. around the globe. Nevertheless, we ensure that the local community gets the most of us and the best of us for the sake of Christ. Local community gets the most of us and the best of us. I mean, they're right here, you all. They're right here. We need to care about them. I I don't know about you. I I don't know how you read Acts 1. I just know when I read that, and then I read the rest of Acts, I want to be what they were. I want to do what they did. You know what I mean? I, I want to have what they had. I, I, I think in everything in the book of Acts, which is so much of you know, the acts of the church, the acts of the Holy Spirit, I, I just have always believed that, that our, our church, you know, our, our church is just a continuation of the story that you find in the book of Acts. I mean, the, the chapters just go on and on and on about how the Holy Spirit took the gospel and the early Christians began to spread and, and evangelize. But, but then understand, you, you get to a point in Acts where the story just kind of stops. It, it stops and it, and it doesn't even stop gracefully. It just gets to Acts chapter 28 and Paul's on the island of Malta and then Paul gets to Rome and then Paul is about ready to preach and then the story just ends. Except that that's the thing. The story doesn't end at all. The story continues. You know, like it ends with Acts chapter 28, but maybe, you know, Woodburn Baptist Church is Acts chapter 29. You know what I'm saying? We are a part of this story. We're absolutely a part of this story, or at least we're meant to be. And so when I read this and when I stand before you, with the Bible open to this page, I want so desperately for us to, to, to have what they had and, and to be what they were. But you understand, if we're going to have what they had and be what they were, we're going to have to do what they did. And what did they do? Well, they, they were witnesses. They did it. They, they did it. And, and Jesus said, you go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, most parts of the world. They, they, they did that. Sometimes their traveling was forced. They were forced to scatter because of persecution. They were sc- forced to scatter because of disaster, because of famine, because of political impossibilities that made them have to leave their homes. I mean, sometimes they just scattered for what seemed like random circumstances, but there's nothing random about it. They began to fill the earth and fill the world with the message of Jesus. That's what they did. We stand here today because they preached. 
Is there anybody in this world who's following Jesus because you told them? Like your whole life, you have one purpose, and that's to be a witness for Christ. Have you ever stepped into that? Anybody in the world that's coming to Jesus, anybody right now whose life has changed because you shared Christ with them? Because honestly, if, if, if that's not the kind of life you're living, you're not living the life that Christ has for you. And you've never really experienced the Spirit's flow in your life because you've never really attempted anything yet that would require the Spirit's intervention. You're on mission. This church is a church of sent people, all of us. And if we're going to be what they were and have what they had, then we've got to do what they did. And You know, when I just look through these pages, they were witnesses. But before that, it just makes really clear they, uh, they prayed. They prayed. In the Mission One vision, part of what we talk about is, is the importance of a church that is fervent in prayer. I don't know if you can say that about us. Now, we got prayer meetings. I mean, we have prayer meetings, and some of our Sunday school classes start. You, you, we have more prayer time than class time, you know? And sometimes we need to reconsider that because we sort of only know one way to pray, and that's for sick people. And there's a world full of sick people, and I love that we pray for sick people. In this church, we pray for every hemorrhoid and, and tumor and gallbladder and snotty nose. I mean, if, if you name one, we'll add it to the list, snotty nose. You know, and it's usually somebody that lives far, you know, my, my mama's cousin in Florida, you know, has a neighbor whose dog ran across the yard of a lady who has a snotty nose. And we all had snotty nose, you know, about that. You know, I mean, we have one way of praying around here is praying for sick people. Let's just be honest. That's, that's all we do. I'm not saying don't when I'm sick, please pray for me. I just have a feeling that when these early Christians gathered in that room waiting for the Spirit's power to come and, and, and waiting for Jesus to send them out, I have a feeling they weren't just going over lists of people, you know, with psoriasis and snotty noses. You know what I mean? I have a feeling that they had begun to understand that their purpose was greater than that. And that somehow, maybe praying that people will stay healthy, you know. And, and, and I mean, we pray for Christians to stay healthy so they don't die and go to heaven. I mean, that's what we do. And yet we have very little concern for a world full of people dying and going to hell. And that doesn't make sense. None of that makes sense. I'm telling you that they prayed. And they waited and they prayed and they didn't go anywhere. They didn't do anything until that spirit came upon them and, and, and drove them out. Let me, let me just say this, and I don't like saying this, but I think it's the truest thing I can say for my life and your life and our life as a church. Our witness is mostly powerless. Again, I, two weeks ago, I gave you numbers for this. I, I can say it's mostly powerless because at this current moment in our church's life, it takes 40 of us to get one person saved and into that baptistry. It takes 40 of us. That can't be good. 
So I'm saying our witness is powerless because honestly, we're prayerless. The power comes through prayer. That that power comes from the Holy Spirit. And prayer is the central nerve of our life as Christians, as our life as disciples, as our life of people on mission. When you really start doing what God has called you to do, you will have a brand new burden for prayer. Because you will begin to recognize a need in your life for power that is outside of yourself. It does not take supernatural power to binge watch an entire season of Gilmore Girls. That takes no supernatural power. It takes no supernatural power to ride around Starbucks drive-thru and get yourself a whatever latte. But yet this is your whole life and this is what consumes you and this is what I'm telling you. Our witness is mostly powerless because we are mostly prayerless. So if you want to talk about what they did, yes, they changed the world. Yes, they were witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Yes, they did that. They did all of that. But before they did any of that, they prayed. They stretched themselves out in the presence of God together. They locked themselves in a room together. Nobody came. Nobody left. They just waited right there till the Holy Spirit showed up and sent them out. They prayed until they got a burden. They prayed until they found purpose. They prayed until the Holy Spirit came down and baptized them with power. I guess I'm just saying... Woodburn Baptist Church hasn't had that prayer meeting yet. But we need to. Jesus said, you will have power. But it's power with purpose. And you think, well, Pastor Tim, I wish this church could find that power. I agree with you. And we will find that power. When we find that purpose. Pray with me.